podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is the Ridiculous Ashes podcast. I'm Dan Lipke. With me is Alex Bowden. Hello. We're covering historical Ashes series to find out which nation is more ridiculous at cricket. Is it England or is it Australia? And the current series we're covering is the 2013 Ashes. Yes. Um, the way this podcast works is uh, for each Ridiculous Ashes series, we go through the test one by one and highlight the ridiculous moments delivered by each side. Dan nominates Australia's, I nominate England's. We then award three, two, one points for our top three moments and most points wins that test match. Yep. The first test ended in a draw uh, after our deadlock positions on Ashton Agar's 98 and Stuart Broad's refusal to walk were broken by Pat Actual Commons, <laughs> uh, who came in and gave me a bit of, bit of stick, actually. <laughs> he went for Agar, but then Jonathan Trott's Golden Duck and uh, associated DRS shenanigans snatched a draw for the home team. So we're now moving into the second test. What happened? What actually happened in the second test? Dan? All right. So the second test uh, was at Lords, uh, and uh, Alastair Cook elected to bat first. He won the toss, and he might have regretted his decision a little bit because uh, Ryan Harris, who'd been recalled to the side in place of Mitchell Stark, uh, he and Shane Watson combined to uh, dismiss England's top order. They were twenty-eight for three, but uh, runs from the middle order, including another century to Ian Bell and of course inevitable hefty 10th wicket partnership saw England finish on 361 all out. Harris finished with 5 for 72. Steve Smith an improbable 3 for 18. Uh, In reply Australia just were hopeless they were all out for 128. Graham Swan did all the damage. He took 5 for 44. Uh, Cook could have enforced the follow on but he decided not to. Instead uh, uh, he decided that the top 3 would again collapse. They were swiftly 30 for 3 because uh, Peter Siddle had everybody playing on. Uh, But any slim chance of an Australian fight back was emphatically snuffed out by Joe Root, who scored 180 runs as England eventually gave themselves the better part of two days to bowl Australia out. Uh, as it turned out, they just needed the one day. There were half centuries to Michael Clark and Usman Khawaja, but that wasn't enough. Australia were bowled out for 235 in the last over of the fourth day, giving England a 347-run victory and a 1-0 Ashes lead. So, do you want me to start with the first nomination here? Because I think I've got a pretty good one first up. Yeah, I think I'm finishing at the very, very end of the match. So, I think mine makes sense as the very final nomination. So, you go first. All right. Uh, So, my first nomination is uh, Chris Rogers and Shane Watson's review swap. So we did have a lot of uh, lot of nonsense in the first test with reviews, and the nonsense continues into the second test. Uh, as a, as we mentioned, Australia batted second. Uh, England set a decent target for them, and it started off perfectly well with the two openers, Chris Rogers and Shane Watson. Watto did you know multiple big booming cover drives uh, that were just spectacular, racing away to the boundary, and then of course inevitably he was hit on the pad and given out. And being Watto, he desperately, desperately wanted to review, and uh, he managed to convince somehow Chris Rogers to let him review despite the fact he seemed very very plumb indeed the huddled England team were watching this they were egging Watto on to review and eventually uh he couldn't he couldn't resist he decided to make the big tea and uh sent it upstairs and he was of course still out and uh trundled off with a review taken with him so it was, it was very exciting stuff this is the sort of very very heart of the the Watson LBW and wasting a review legend isn't it this is really where it's been formed into 2013 I think he's already got a reputation for it we can see because the England players are all goading him in the background <laughs> that's very and funny 
there's a sense of inevitability about it, but this is really when it's driving it home to everybody else that this is a thing that Shane Watson is unavoidably going to do. And the delight when he then does exactly that, when it just cannons into that gigantic front pad yep. and uh, he uh, refuses to believe it. <laughs> yeah, yes. And uh, 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 it's such kind of a, an, a, a seminal moment in, in his LBW review career that it inspired a, <laughs> a kind of infamous YouTube rant from a young up-and-coming cricket journalist by the name of Jeff. Jeff Lemon, the unlikely name of Jeff Lemon. Uh, and uh, Jeff channeled all of Australia's frustrations with Watson's reviews into an infamous video called Hey Watson! Exclamation mark. And this went very viral as uh, Jeff gave uh, Shane quite the dressing down about how he should be saving reviews for teammates and not just reviewing because he would quite like to stay in. It was very entertaining, well worth looking up if you've got a few minutes on YouTube. It will almost certainly be in the show notes. So feel free to click on that and uh, have a look at that one. And it, like, the, the thing about this that struck me was that that, that footage of <laughs> like, Jeff's, Jeff's rant is... Watson's in is, is clearly so... Uh, infuriating to Australians, <laughs> and basically by this point, his his tendency to be out LBW and review is is basically a joke. So everyone's just enraged with Shane Watson, and his was easily the best innings yes. <laughs> for Australia. Yes, he top scored. He played he played the best shots by a long way, and uh, yeah, and everybody else barely scored anything. But uh, but just just the way the the method of his departure was enough to enrage pretty much every single Australian back at home and negate all the good work he'd been done <laughs> and he bowled well too <laughs> he did yes yes uh and and but and but perhaps he uh perhaps he uh, was made aware of jeff's rant uh because uh, when he was LBW again in the second innings, which he inevitably was, uh, he, he resisted the review. Uh, so, so uh, baby steps forward. Uh, but n- that was a nice moment because then it introduced a sort of willy won't he tension <laughs> yes. to proceedings, which had never been present before. Because <laughs> previously it was just how how long is it going to take Shane Watson to yep. make the review signal? Yes, uh, but of course, uh, sa- saving a review in the second innings didn't really help the first innings because uh, kind of one of the byproducts of his first innings review was that. Chris Rogers, who'd kind of begrudgingly given the go-ahead for him to do it, he was given out to a terrible LBW shortly after. And he, because they're already one review had been burnt, he uh, didn't feel confident in sending this, this one upstairs, even though he should have, and clearly very, very badly wanted to. And in the end, he just kind of shrugged and headed off the ground and uh, <laughs> without saving himself. So, so that's my nomination. A wonderfully ridiculous swap of reviews from the Australian Openers. The one who shouldn't have used it did, and the one who shouldn't have used it didn't. And pretty much everybody watching knew they'd got it the wrong way around almost immediately. <laughs> There's a lovely symmetry. I don't know if it's symmetry or asymmetry to that. <laughs> Whether you review or don't review, just be wrong. Just as long as the important thing is that you're wrong about it. Yep. Uh, well, that leads into my first nomination, which is that Chris Rogers LBW. <laughs> uh, Graham Swan getting Chris Rogers LBW, which I think is a, I think this is a robustly ridiculous <laughs> moment. Uh, we'll describe the, the, the actual delivery. So so Swan bowled this looping full touch. You will have seen it, you might have forgotten it. Swanbold is looping full toss. It would have been it would have been a beamer if it hadn't been so incredibly <laughs> slow. Rogers went to pull slash hook it, missed, and it hit him somewhere around the waistband. Uh, and Marais Erasmus gave it out. <laughs> uh, and as you said, Rogers decided against reviewing it, but re- replay showed it was missing legs. So we got awful bowling, really like god awful bowling, terrible battering, <laughs> laughably bad battering. Yeah, it was a uh, slow full toss essentially. <laughs> yeah, he could have hit it anywhere. 
uh, and bad umpiring and bad yeah. reviewing as well for yep. that matter. And and also uh, when he was asked if it was worth reviewing, Usman Kawaja just shrugged. So <laughs> awful teammating. As yes, well. exactly. <laughs> terrible, terrible teammating from Usman. It was uh, it was a delightful moment all around. I particularly like the shot because Rogers he swung so hard his his helmet lollops <laughs> about with the effort and his hand comes off the bat. You know, just the, the sheer force of like this is just something that is just begging to be slammed to the boundary. Yeah, and then compl- didn't even like get a edge on it or anything um i mean on the basis of that and kawaja's contributions you could argue this was an australian moment i i you know i'm saying without swan this can't happen well swan swan's the initiator of the nonsense He's isn't he the instigator yeah yes. and it and it's an almost uniquely awful delivery <laughs> swan himself was quite proud of it at the close of play i've got a quote from him um i'm not sure there's been a worse piece of cricket in test history i'm delighted to be at the center of that i'm sure he was as embarrassed about it as i was and he said it just uh, it, it just slipped out of his hand and it did well to be going anywhere near the wicket not that near he wasn't going to hit them no no, you know. <laughs> no that, that's kind of broad like uh trolling there of the australians there to, so i i i think i may have underestimated swan's ability to to troll the australians there because that, that that's a great piece of uh quotage yeah I, I i did say at the time that the this series had highlighted the australian batter's weakness against the swinging seeming spinning undeviating or full toss ball and uh, <laughs> i think that kind of summarizes that last I, I often make this point about part-time bowlers, uh, like real true part-time bowlers, the ones who are shit. Yep. Um, I, uh, I play squash a fair bit, and it's a, it's a sport where every now and again, if you and the person you're playing against, both you're both in good form and you're seeing the ball well, you get into a real rhythm with it, and it's quite hard to see how a rally's going to end because you know, <laughs> the ball's always coming back off the back wall yeah. and you're just middling everything and everything's coming off the middle of the racket and there's no problems at all. And the way that they always end is that eventually one or other of you completely mishits it <laughs> and it loops. It loops into the middle of the wall and it's slow and it's easy and the other person comes in to slam it and they just batter it into the tin or <laughs> out of the court or something. That's yep. where it goes wrong because your timing is just completely thrown. You're so used to the rhythm of it coming at a certain speed, like fast as well. I mean, a squash ball moves probably faster than a cricket ball and I'm not like <laughs> some professional sportsman and I can get into the rhythm of it. So these guys, you do this for a living. Yep. They get into the rhythm of it as well with the bowling and then when Graham Swan balls one above your head that then <laughs> drops down towards your balls, <laughs> it's a pretty hard one to lay a bat on as uh, Chris Rogers proved. All right, moving on to my next nomination. I've got that decision sucked ass, hashtag bullshit. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is uh, a kind of infamous tweet which came about uh, in, the, in the following circumstances. So uh, we're in England's second innings now. England are looking to extend their lead. Uh, Ian Bell, he's three at the time. He's just arrived at the crease to join Joe Root. And he's caught in, in gully by Steve Smith. Or, or was he? Because uh, Ian Bell stood his ground. The ball was taken a bit too low for his uh, you know, immediate uh, tendency to just go off. So the umpire sent it upstairs. And uh, both Mark Nicholas and Michael Vaughan on commentary, they, they were they were quite convinced to carry, you know, fingers underneath it, all that usual stuff. Three, three D vision, foreshortening explanations, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a classic example of that thing, isn't it? Which we, I mean, anyone who's watched any sort of live cricket and seen a low catch knows this conversation inside yes. out. Uh, but yeah, so they, they were quite convinced that Steve Smith had caught it. Uh, all the Australians were convinced, of course. I'm, possibly even even Bell was convinced, but, <laughs> but he's uh, sav- savvy enough to know that it's it's uh, dubious and rightly so because the third umpire came back and said, "No, that's not." 
out. It bounced uh, before it went into Smith's hands, uh, which is a little bit unlucky for Australia, who at the time, uh, after just two tests, had discovered that catches taken at slip and gully were both uh, not going to count in this series. <laughs> but regardless, I mean, the, the, the catch itself isn't the nomination. The, the response to the catch is that uh, shortly after uh, this uh, was overruled, a tweet appeared on the official Cricket Australia Twitter account. That decision sucked ass. Hashtag bullshit. And uh, it was, the, the tweet uh, was you know, uh, soon deleted, of course, uh, but it was screenshotted for posterity, so you can always just Google it and, and get it. Uh, of course, be, be careful to spell ass, A-S-S, not A-R-S-E, which uh, <laughs> is perhaps the more traditional Australian spelling. Uh, but after it was deleted, an apology went up on the the Cricket Australia Twitter account. Apologies for the inappropriate tweet earlier regarding the bell catch. It didn't emanate from CA's official Twitter presence at Lords. CA is currently investigating the matter. So that that was good news. And then uh, a few days later, uh, the investigation came to a close. Cricket Australia (open brackets CA) has been unable to identify the source of the offensive tweet posted to its official account during the course of the second Ashes Test at Lords last weekend. And that's pretty much where. We where the uh, case was closed. Uh, again, this is like a symptom of the era, like of the sort of uh, the the early days of a form of technology. Like yes. there's this fairly early days of DRS, and you can see people misusing it, and it it, it it comes across in a different way to how we see it these days. And I think it's the same with social media accounts that <laughs> that they were taking them like the cricket bodies were taking them sort of semi seriously, and that they were u- started to use them. They, they understood that they were now supposed to be using them, but I think. They were still having the, you know, the young lad, uh, <laughs> just giving him the keys to the to the castle and letting him through whatever he wants. They, they hadn't yet sort of accepted that this was the official mouthpiece of their organisation. <laughs> it was kind of like this unofficial thing in their minds. And I think this was how they realised things like <laughs> bad decision sucked. Ash, hashtag bullshit. They're thinking, ah, maybe our our official channels shouldn't be saying things like that about a live match. Yes. Or any match. Yeah. So, so that that was that was all very dramatic and. Of course, it inspired great mirth and uh, great laughter over Cricket Australia's unprofessionalism. And it was eventually revealed a few years later, Brad Haddon finally retired after tormenting England bowlers for long enough. And in his retirement, he went on Instagram and he revealed that he, in fact, was the person responsible for this particular tweet. Uh, So he claimed that while the media manager had gone to the toilet, Brad Haddon had snuck onto his laptop and tweeted it out. And uh, the the media manager had still been in the toilet when he got a call from uh, somebody back in Australia as some board member uh, and saying, what the hell's going on? Why are you tweeting this? And uh, he, he came out and he was furious and he said, like, who, who did this? Who did this? And uh, Haddon, it turned out, blamed it on Shane Watson, um, <laughs> uh, which uh, meant that Shane Watson got his second strike from Cricket Australia after the homework gate thing. So he was on very thin ice with poor old Shane Watson. And of course, uh, given the uh, kind of tension between Watson and Clark, which I'm not sure we've got into yet here... Um, uh, Watson uh, suspected that, in fact, it wasn't Haddon who did it. He suspected that Clark was trying to frame him. So uh, it's, a, it's a wild, uh, wild uh, thing to happen. Yeah, because just before, was it just for this test match or for this series, there were these uh, legal documents came out about Mickey Arthur's um, ludicrous four million Australian dollar compensation claim against Cricket Australia. Uh, he was a previous coach, um, and uh, these documents revealed that. 
you know, shock, Michael <laughs> Clark and Shane Watson basically hated each other, <laughs> which yes. I think was maybe not the revelation that uh, <laughs> was the way it was reported. It was like this astonishing thing, but I think everyone had a suspicion that was maybe the yeah, case. But it was in writing now, in like a legal, it had been filed legally. Yeah, that's yes. true, in legalese. Uh, and Haddon's story kind of plays into that, doesn't it? I'm sorry, which I didn't know until you told me. Yes. Uh, and here's kind of the most interesting thing about the Haddon story is that I'm not 100% sure I believe it's true. In fact, I'm very close to 0% sure I believe it's true. <laughs> because Haddon was on the field when the catch was, uh, when the catch was denied. And uh, I, I kind of backtraced this, did some forensic analysis to see if I could work out what exactly happened. So the catch took place after drinks in the middle session of the third day. Uh, so the, the first opportunity Haddon would have had at the laptop would have been at the tea break. And while, while it's a little bit hazy in my memory as to when exactly the, the infamous tweet took place, you can, as, as I mentioned before, Google it. And uh, the, the kind of most prominent screenshot you'll get from it yeah, puts it at 12.10am, which is presumably the local time of whoever took the screenshot. Um, because, I mean, it's certainly not local time at the game. So if that's Sydney-Melbourne time, that's half an hour before tea, which is probably the right time frame. That's shortly after the catch would have happened. Um, now, it's technically conceivable that it's a South Australian time zone, which would have put the tweet at, like, the very stroke of tea, like the exact moment that tea began. But that would have also meant that the Australians would have had to sprint off the field and be up and hacking a laptop within 60 seconds <laughs> of the session ending. Um, and that assumes the session didn't go, you know, a minute longer than scheduled. So I, I just... It's really weird. I, I don't think there's any way that Haddon could have done this. Um, so I, I, I may be missing something obvious, but I think Haddon's just made this up, this story. No, I mean, the other thing is, it also seems like any kind of reference to that decision would surely have been posted in the moment. Yes. Because otherwise, you, unless it's an example of that social media trend of referring to that catch or that <laughs> yes. shot, yes. in the assumption that everyone will immediately know which one you're about. And I pretty much never do. I, I'm not even sure that that social media thing had been invented in 2013 <laughs> that social media thing yes that social media thing which drives you crazy was, had not been invented yet yeah so yeah i'm not exactly sure uh so exactly what happened there but i'm not convinced i'm certainly not convinced that haddon was the one who posted it i don't know i think brad haddon's a stand-up guy i believe him <laughs> <laughs> i believe him despite all the holes in his made-up anecdote yes i mean may, maybe haddon's covering for the social media manager guy may, maybe he's uh heroically covering for him <laughs> Uh, but this, of course, wasn't the only Twitter controversy associated with this test because we also had the the emergence of a, a fantastic new character on the social media scene for the Ashes. This is uh, David Warner's brother, at Warndog79. <laughs> so, at Warndog uh, declared just before the test began that his brother was, quote, an scapegoat for uh, the root punching that saw him suspended. So, this this was very good news. But as, as the test went on, and particularly after the aforementioned infuriation Watson review, uh, Warndog79 also came out and tweeted, Fucking selfish Watson, sooner you're out if the side, you great pretender, the better. So he's also not a big Watson fan. Uh, and then a little bit later, a tweet from the same account uh, addressed to at Cricket Australia, I hope you have a business class seat booked from SA to London because it's about time you had a batsman there who will have a go. Uh, so there you go. Uh, Warn Dog, as it turned out, denied he tweeted either of those last two tweets about uh, referring to Shane Watson. Uh, he claimed he'd been hacked and presumably hacked by uh, Brad Haddon. So. Who's, who's hacking Warn Dog? 
That's my nomination, the uh, wild Twitter sphere of, uh, of uh, Cricket Australia and associated entities. That is a, that's a rich nomination and, uh, I don't know, emblematic of the time, I think. It's lovely. Right, my next nomination is day three. Mm. <laughs> day three was definitely England's day, so you, you, you're yes. more than welcome to nominate it. Yes. I mean, it was England's test, but it was greatly centred on day three, so I, I, I'll try and contextualise it. So on day two, 16 wickets had fallen. On day three, two wickets fell. <laughs> and then on day four, 12 wickets fell. So it was a little island of batting uh, in, a, in a sort of sea of wickets. Um, unsurprisingly, it was it was Joe Root who halted the avalanche. Um, rather less predictably, did so Tim Bresnan, um, <laughs> who my mum always insisted on calling Bresnan as if he was a Soviet politician. <laughs> <laughs> it was Root's first century at Lords, and he, he went on to make 180. Uh, Brezhnev batted for three hours for 38 runs, so it was very solid. <laughs> I, I like that Brezhnev is joining our previous uh, series, uh, Katish. Brezhnev and Katish <laughs> sound like they could uh, yeah, hammer out some peace treaties together. These are things that once you hear them once, they, they're hard to unhear. Um, yes. And then Ian Bell, when, when Brezhnev was out, uh, Ian Bell came in and he made 74. So England finished the day 567 ahead, still batting. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I particularly enjoyed that uh, in the first innings, uh, Harris got uh, Brezhnev first ball of day two caught behind. And at that, at that moment, uh, Jeff Boycott on commentary said, we really shouldn't be surprised at Brezhnev being out for seven. We keep talking about him being able to bat. I'm, you, you'll notice, you'll be uh, thankful that I'm not doing the accent here. We keep talking about... <laughs> about him uh, being able to bat, but he never makes any runs for England. And then he immediately goes on to make 38 in the second innings as a night watchman, which uh, pretty much makes the comment from Boycott an almost immediate hindsight corner. Hindsight corner. Yeah, but I mean, like, batted half the day, I think, is probably more yes. the, the contribution. Yeah. Like, just, that's a, yeah, that was, that was unexpected. Um, so, like, the highlights of the day are just sort of boundaries, basically. And one of, yeah. one of the sort of great supporting moments from the highlights, which struck me, was that, um, I think it's a bit later on, Bell or Root, um, um, hits a hits one out to the boundary, and one of there's a diving boundary fielder. I think it's Usman Kawaja who suffers the indignity of um, it, as he's diving, the ball bounces off the boundary to- Toblerone into his head uh, and back up <laughs> the, the boundary. It's just like all these low moments where you're already diving forlornly and failing to save before. It's just sort of insulting to injury to have the ball like cannon off your back of your head. Yeah, there 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 were a lot of instances of Australian fielders running around the boundary edge and diving forlornly as a ball. Or winning over the over the edge for four. Only one, I think, where it bounced off the the fielder's head. So good work <laughs> to Kawaja. I, I I guess the the other kind of highlight of this root innings in particular was uh, that this 180 formed the basis of what is now known as root maths. Um, because this was the series where everybody kept saying, if you ignore the 180, Roots had a terrible series. Um, so, and uh, the the term root maths uh, was coined by Dave Tickner, a uh, friend of the podcast. I was going to say it was Dave, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. And uh, he went on to explain it a little bit later. So I'll give the definition of root maths here. Uh, basically, specifically, root maths is the exclusion of inconvenient high scores from an average when wanting to point out a batsman is in fact shit, actually. <laughs> More generally, it refers to any piece of statistical chicanery designed purely to manipulate the stats to say what you want them to say. So this is kind of the birth of root maths. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was a longer term 
phenomenon. It's, a, it's an eternal phenomenon, really. But this yes, was it when it got branded, which is when Dave branded it. Because uh, mm. this was like a really pure example of it. Yes. And I guess the only other moment that I kind of do, doesn't actually take place on day three, because yeah, uh, because Root was batting so well, uh, England batted on into day four, despite being 500 and whatever they were ahead. Uh, and Root was dismissed early on day four. And this is where Shane Warne on commentary uh, said he would have told Smith to drop the catch to keep Root out there and delay the declaration as long as possible, which is which is very worn, I think. <laughs> would, um, he have, would he have told him as the ball was in the air? <laughs> I assume so, or yeah. Drop would it, he have drop war- it. Would have warned everybody beforehand? Because that's the only way you can realistically do it. You will say it to everybody, yeah. just don't dismiss Root, whatever you do. Yes, but of course, as soon as Root was out, as soon as Steve Smith took the catch, maybe Smith didn't think it would count because he took it in gully, uh, but anyway... <laughs> Uh, but as soon as Root was dismissed, uh, uh, Alastair Cook called them in and uh, set Australia at 583 to win. A mere 583 in two days. Two enough. days, which which uh, brings me to my uh, nomination, my final nomination, which is Australia not playing shots. So uh, Australia, as I mentioned, had 583 to win, or more realistically, uh, you know, two days to bat out, uh, only marginally more realistically. And either way, they decided that they would uh, approach this challenge by not playing any shots at all. <laughs> so uh, we, we had several wickets to batters not playing shots. We had Rogers, uh, who followed up, uh, was dismissed by Swan again, this time not to a, a full toss. This time it was an arm ball from Swan, which Rogers just uh, raised his bat towards and watched as it hit his off stump and he was out. I can only presume that he'd concluded that trying to hit Swan was undignified. <laughs> yes. Although the, the, the state he'd left himself in in the first innings, he thought, far better to just hope that it doesn't hit my stump. Just cross my yeah. fingers. Can only lead to embarrassment trying to hit him, so. Yeah. Yeah. Do the, take the unembarrassing option of letting the ball go and hit the stumps. This is a neat way of sidestepping embarrassment. <laughs> so I'll just raise my bat and watch the tails <laughs> come off. Yes. A little bit later, we had uh, Brad Haddon, of course. Uh, he also left one from Swan, which hit him on the pad right in front. There was no shot, uh, so you know he was fired out almost immediately. And again, I, I, I don't like uh, quoting the commentators too often, but the, there's a great piece of commentary here from Boycott again. Uh, Boycott says, Oh, that could be out. There's no shot. I think that's got to be out. I don't think there's any point in reviewing that, even if they could, which they can't, because they've no reviews left. <laughs> which uh, summed up Australia's uh, series so far. <laughs> Uh, and of course, uh, Hawkeye shows it would have turned past leg stump. So that's very, very perfect for the Haddon dismissal. No shot. Kind of sums up the series so far as well. Australia wasting reviews, terrible dismissals, and uh, yeah, terrible decisions all around. Yeah, I, th- I think the reviews in the second innings were wasted by uh, Phil Hughes and Steve Smith, who made one apiece. And they it was just the reviewed. novelty of having access to them, probably. I think so. Yes. <laughs> yes. Just totally a new experience for them. <laughs> they got carried away, the youngsters. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, uh, Peter Siddle decided he quite also liked this not playing a shot stuff. Uh, so he uh, also didn't play a shot to one of a, one of Broad's deliveries. Uh, Broad appealed for it because it hit him on the pad just outside of stump. It wasn't the full Broad celebre appeal, though. But it was enough to get uh, Alastair Cook to review, and it was not out on umpire's call. So uh, one, one of the uh, non-shots going Australia's way on that occasion. Okay. So that's my third nomination. Right. I don't, I don't think of anything to add to that, but it's is uh, sort of off the back of that. My final nomination is uh, the last two Australian wickets of the match. Uh, and I like this because it's such a familiar test match thing. If, you've, <laughs> if you watch the sport live or if you go to the ground uh, uh, for a day and you happen to catch... Uh, this kind of an innings. Uh, but it's, it's something you don't really get a sense of in the highlights or in retrospect at all. So, um, again, I've got to put it in context. So, 
England took the first 18 Australian wickets in this match <laughs> in 115 overs. So Australia were not batting amazingly well in this. Yeah, so that's this. a little over six overs a wicket. Yes, not much more than six overs per wicket. Then, when the match was basically over, uh, they took 28 overs to take the last two. <laughs> so Australia were 162 for eight, chasing 583 to win, <laughs> with more than a day's play to go. And we all got to spend two hours watching Peter Siddle, James Pattinson, and Ryan Harris bats so just the <laughs> three worst batsmen in the opposite the, the three worst batsmen in the losing team batting for two hours for no real like effect I, I, I particularly like that uh, at nine down England were able to claim the extra half hour which uh, was you know technically an extra eight overs Mark Nicholas was very emphatic about that it's not an extra half hour it's an extra eight overs and, and they took almost the full eight overs to get the last wicket Pattinson wasn't out until the very final over and he was very annoyed about it was uh, James Pattinson. He thought he thought uh, he thought he'd been given out caught behind, and he was very adamant that he, that he hadn't hit it. Uh, but he was in fact out uh, LBW. So and he was very LBW. So <laughs> that's a good yeah. cricket thing as well. Being correctly annoyed about a bad decision, but incorrectly comprehending how you're out. It's a good effort yes. there. And the other thing yeah. is the the extra eight overs. It like that way of extending purgatory because it's just you know it's not happening, and you think well at least it'll be the end of the day. And come back tomorrow and then they go no we're going to play some more i think that it's uh, presumably a lot of militaries do this but i know the british military do a thing when they're training and they tell recruits right you got to run uh, like five miles or something and then it's to do with expectations and the, the mentality of it so when they arrive after five five miles and they're sort of on their last legs they say you've got to run five miles more and then they yeah. keep doing this and you never really know when it's going to end and it's it's not so much well it's partly about the, the physicality of it but it's mostly about just having the ability to cope with that situation and the fact that you just don't know when this horror is ever going to end and that's kind of how it feels with England trying to win a test match against Australia <laughs> with just a couple of wickets to go and just I mean particularly in this series where the, you know the previous match we've got a history of the last wicket lasting hanging around a while so um, yes yeah that was definitely in everyone's mind as we're watching it just pleading for it all to be over the, the, the other thing I particularly liked about how annoyed uh, Pattinson was to be given out in the final over of the day was yeah if he'd taken a moment to think about it he didn't want to come back for the final day <laughs> what were they going to do they were going to last at best a handful of overs yeah. it, and even at Lords it's not going to rain all day at Lords surely well, I mean it might but it might. It, it, I, I, I haven't checked the weather but I don't think it did otherwise this would have been even more infamous and more ridiculous but but I do always I have always liked the idea that because you take the extra eight overs theoretically doesn't that mean there's only 82 overs to survive on the final day uh, I mean it never comes into practice because yeah, no, if, you, if, you take, if you're taking the eight overs, they're not going to bat out 82 <laughs> the final day. But, uh, but yeah, I, I would like to see that sometime. Yeah, eventually. Mm. Uh, I, I also quite like at this point, uh, as Pattinson was dismissed, he did have Australia's best batting average for the series. Oh. <laughs> he was averaging 36 and uh, Ashton Agar was the highest run scorer. So the two number 11s from the first <laughs> test, uh, they, they, they were Australia's best batters. <laughs> that was a nice start. Yes. All right. Do we have any unnominated moments? What have I got? Oh, Steve Smith took three wickets and scored three runs. Yes. I like that. <laughs> yes. I don't know when was the last time he took as many or more wickets than runs. It could have looked, but, you know, it's not really that interesting. It's just the idea no. of it. <laughs> I, I did like that the start of the test was delayed because the Queen arrived late. Uh, she showed up and stuck around until England lost three wickets and then she was out of there. So good good work from the Queen of Australia. Yeah. And off the back of that, um, England 28 for three in the first innings. 30, yes. 
30 for three in the second innings and won by 347 runs. <laughs> That's very strange, isn't it? Your, yeah. your top order contributes not at all. Doesn't matter. I was toying with nominating it, but I think it needed maybe another wicket in each inning, and that would have been. Yeah. Well, speak, speaking of things we were toying with nominating, I, I've got, uh, I was very tempted to nominate Ashton Agar, who had, had quite a, a subtly, uh, subtly good test in rid- ridiculousness wise, uh, because we all remember the 98 as, you know, top tier ridiculousness. Yeah. Uh, but this, this second test had a kind of a lot of subtle and nonsense in there. More of an all-round performance, this one. It was, yeah. He he was a young, silly player who could have been anything had he not been discarded. And, of course, he was discarded after this test. So just just a couple of highlights I've got here. Uh, At one point uh, in England's first innings, he was chasing a ball to a boundary and and dove after it. And it was still quite out of reach, so he basically had to crawl after it on his (laughs) belly like a lizard (laughs) trying to drag it in, which was very entertaining. (laughs) That's a high point. Yes. Uh, when, in, when Australia batted, he, he managed to run himself out. He came three quarters of the way down the pitch before uh, Brad Haddon sent him back and uh, he was out, out by a fair distance in, yeah. in that particular effort. That was good. That was a real sort of giddy puppy quality, you know, just like herring off for a run, like in defiance <laughs> of circumstance and really like getting a long way towards it. And then, uh, yeah, the about turn. Yeah. We also had uh, in England's next innings, we had uh, Agar dropped a, a pretty easy caught and bold chance that uh, just hit him in the chest. He didn't didn't see it somehow, despite it being hit straight back to him. So that, that was nicely done. And then, of course, in in the the fourth innings, uh, Agar batted again. He edged one behind. He was given not out. Uh, England reviewed it, uh, and despite the fact there was no mark on hotspot, it was inexplicably given out. I, I don't really, I have no uh, no explanation for why he was given out. He just was. They they got the vibe. The third umpire had the vibe by yeah. now. And uh, Agar seemed infinitely more upset by this than he than being caught for ninety eight in the previous test. So, yeah. I, I kind of regret I didn't nominate this one now. Agar fine form from, from the. Yeah, a good cumulative effort. Those are like those are always my nominations. The yes. cake and eat it, sticking five different things in one. But uh, yeah, yeah, a minor point that I noticed: um, Jimmy Anderson in as night watchman for Stuart Broad, which uh, I think that's probably a bit hindsight corner. <laughs> Broad was still had a reputation as a bat, and he batted well in the previous match. But uh, I got nothing else to mention. Do you want to get into the votes? Yes. All right. So I I, I think uh, I'm I'm going to make a very strong case for that decision. Suck ass as being uh, the, the three-pointer here. It's definitely my strongest nomination. It's kind of ridiculous that it went out on an official account. It's even more ridiculous that nobody knows how it happened and kind of the one confession about it doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, but it still kind of implicates everybody as being part of this very strained and strange team culture. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's my nomination. For yeah, there's a lot hanging top. off that one. There's sort of, um, again, like sort of ripples through the decades with uh, Brad Haddon. Uh, yeah, I mean, possibly possibly making up a story uh, maybe it was fact uh, I like the everything wrong aspect of the Watto Rogers reviewing but I think it is very very silly yeah, yeah I think Suktas is probably stronger <laughs> um, it's just like I say very symptomatic of the time when organisations started taking social media slightly more seriously but not that seriously not that seriously so yeah. I like it in that respect I think the what um, Swan's my best easily yeah um, I think so yeah I like, I like, I think my second best is Australia's last two wickets. Yes. Because uh, just because it's such a familiar watching cricket live thing, just all two hours of pointless action. Um, yeah, my other one, day three, that, that's a bit of shit. Yeah, and I, I'm not convinced by uh, my uh, yeah, Australia not playing shots particularly great either. So, so those are the four we're we got juggling here? with. Um, yeah. Well, it's, so it I, sucked. It's, that decision sucked ass or Swan's uh, 
horrible. <laughs> well, I, I, I think the, the, the decision sucking ass, it's, it's more, it's more, I, th- I think it lives on longer. I, I think it, to, to this day, I, it, that, that still pops up on social media every now and then. It's kind of, uh, remember, remember when Cricket Australia did this? I'm not, not quite sure the horror ball emerges quite, quite as regularly. I, I think uh, the decision sucking ass. Has, I think uh, that's one where time. it feels like we're so much less likely to see these days, where it's yes. uh, a real, I mean, there's a lot sort of off the back of the, um, the, 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 ter- the Swan's terrible delivery as well, in the sense that it then just sort of snowballs from there. But uh, yes, okay, I, I'm pre- I think I'm prepared to concede uh, mm. that decision success is as strong as uh, the three pointer here. Yeah, um, I, I'm I'm happy with the Swan terrible delivery because, as, like, as you said, every every single person involved is doing something really, really ridiculously bad in that the the bat of the bowler, the umpire, the teammate, the non-striker, like every everybody's just messed it up completely. So I, th- I think that's a solid two pointer. Okay, so we're pitting uh, the Watto Rog- Rogers review sort of. You- what a reviewing it's one of these where sometimes i get a bit numb to it because it appears so <laughs> often but this is just such a perfect example of it it's, it's such a perfect it's, it's such a perfect bad review because it, it because of the the impact it had on rogers who knew that he couldn't review something he emphatically should have reviewed because as we mentioned it was ridiculously bad yeah um this is really so, yeah. probably like uh, the nadir of Watto's reviewing as well, really. Or the yes. zenith, I don't know how we, we put it. I'm always tempted to make that three points, you know. I think I'm talking myself down. Yeah, um, I think your two, your two are better than mine, I've decided. <laughs> so, so so, you're saying what Watto what what three, Watto Rogers three, that decision sucked ass two, and then Swan one, is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, we're disagreeing maybe about the order of the first two, but I've talked myself out of like almost any points now. I've given myself one point and... Uh... All right, well, okay, well, let's go with that. I'm, I'm happy to, uh, you know, it, it, it launched uh, launched the career of, of one, one of uh, Cricket's great modern-day journalists in uh, Jeff Lemon as well. Got, got, got him a bit of exposure. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, all right, let, let's go with that. Let's, uh, a water review is never a bad thing to give three points to. No. And, uh, we've effectively given our points out and then altered our decision on review as well. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. So I think that gives Australia the second test. So Australia take a 1 0 lead in the ridiculous ashes. Curses. Uh, if only I thought to argue in my own favour. <laughs> oh, maybe next time. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see what comes about in the third test in our next episode. But thank you for listening to this one. Uh, you can check out Alex's website. That's kingcricket.co.uk. Mine is liebcricket.com. You can follow us on Twitter at ridiculous ashes or individually at the king's tweets or at leave cricket and of course if you enjoyed this episode and want to support us with actual money uh you can find us both on patreon patreon.com slash king cricket for alex and i'm patreon.com slash leave cricket and we will be back in a week with our coverage of the third test of the 2013 ridiculous ashes so subscribe to the podcast to listen to that and of course while you're doing that you might as well give us your honest five-star ratings on the podcast store of your choice and we will see you then Podcast Network.